Um, RUF is a community of students here at Wake seeking to love God and to love each other and to love our world. Um, But we're bound by an even greater conviction that God actually loves us and that God loves our neighbor and that God loves this world. And we believe that through a relationship with Jesus, we can have access to God's love and actually be changed by it. So everything we do, the reason why we gather each week together in large group, the reason why we gather together in small groups, one-on-ones, meeting together over coffee or a meal, um, all of this is really so that we might encounter Jesus together. And so wherever you're coming from tonight, whether you're curious about the Christian faith or you're skeptical um, or uh, you're committed to it, RUF is a place for you to encounter Jesus and ultimately to experience his love. And so this semester, uh, we are going to be talking about relationships together um, as we meet on Tuesday nights. Um, and I want to start with a quote from Clayton Christensen. Um, this is in your bulletin if you want to read it. Clayton Christensen, uh, if you don't know who he is, his studies have probably affected everyone in this room. Um, he came up with the thing disruptive innovation. I'm sure you've heard of that. Um, he came with this. He's a big deal. Um, he teaches at Harvard Business School. And I want to read to you from an article that he wrote for the Harvard Business Review. He says this. He says, I spent, when I was a Rhodes Scholar, I spent an hour a night thinking and praying about my purpose, seeking to understand it. That was a very challenging commitment to keep. Because every hour I spent doing that, I wasn't studying applied econometrics. I was conflicted about whether I could really afford to take that time away from my studies. But I stuck with it and ultimately figured out the purpose of my life. Had I instead spent that hour each day learning the latest techniques for mastering the problems of autocorrelation and regression analysis, I would have badly misspent my time. I apply the tools of econometrics a few times a year, but I apply my knowledge regarding the purpose of my life every day. It's the single most useful thing I've ever learned. And I have a pretty clear idea of how my ideas have generated enormous revenue for the companies that use my research. I know that I've had a substantial impact in the world. But as I've confronted cancer this year, it's been interesting to see how unimportant that, act, that impact is to me. I've concluded that the metric God will use to assess my life isn't dollars, but the individual people my life has touched. So don't worry about the level of individual prominence you have achieved. Worry about the individuals you have helped become better people. Here we have a Harvard Business School professor talking about the primacy of relationships. And this is what we're going to talk about this relationship. We're going to talk about the primacy of relationships this semester. And if you have questions as we, as we walk through this together, um, feel free to reach out to me or to Sam or Ellis. Um, we would love to talk through these, your questions with you. Um, I would love to hear your questions, um, to meet with you, to listen to you, to disagree with you, to get to know you. Um, and our contact info is on the bulletin at the top. So if you want to reach out to us, you can. One other starting point before we launch into this. Um, this relationship series I'm going to do, this is something that RUF campus ministers across the country have been working on for years. And I just want to be clear up front that you are going to hear nothing original to me. Um, I am going to be mining the treasures of other pastors. I'm going to say nothing original. And if I quoted everything that I stole uh, from other preachers and thinkers, tonight would just be one long footnote. So this serves as the footnote for tonight and for the semester. Here goes. John Stone, Tim Keller, Britton Wood, Brian Sorgenfry, Chad Scruggs, Sammy Rhodes, Les Newsom, John Cox, Brent Corbin, John Alexander, Justin Clement. So that's all of them. If there are more, I'll introduce them along the way. Um, but So begin quotes. Um, 
So what we're going to do is we're going to read uh, the Bible together uh, tonight. And tonight we're going to be talk about, talking about this idea that um, we were created for relationships. We're actually designed for relationships. So if you want to turn over your bulletin, um, the scripture we're going to be reading tonight is there. We're going to be reading Genesis 1, sections from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So this is God's word for us tonight. It is completely true, and he gives it to us in love. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. An image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Skipping down to chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Um, Father, we thank you for tonight, and um, I pray for these friends who are here with me tonight, um, those who are here and are eager um, to see old friends and be reconnected, those who are here and are scared uh, that they don't know anyone, Um, those who are here and are uncertain why they're here and are skeptical, um, Lord, we pray that you'd be present uh, with us by your Spirit and you would show us Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, so there's a book that came out in the 90s and then turned into a movie about 10 years later called Into the Wild. And uh, it's the story of a man named Christopher McCandless. Um, and Christopher McCandless was uh, a young man who graduated from Emory in the early 90s. And he was disillusioned with the modern world. And he was actually repulsed by the American dream. And he wanted to escape. So he disappeared out west. He ended up in Alaska. And he was on this quest to find himself. And he journals his experience um, being alone in the wilderness. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, um, he dies. Um, He dies alone in the wilderness. And the final words at the end of 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 the movie, and this is something that he wrote in his journal, was, happiness is only real when it's shared. Happiness is only real when it's shared. So Christopher was out in the wilderness trying to find himself, trying to discover his purpose, But his supposed freedom actually became his darkest prison. His decision to go at it alone was a tragic mistake. 
And this reveals that we are made for relationships, that relationships are fundamental to us as humans. Um, and our humanity actually erodes when we're disconnected. And this is the first doctrine that is established about mankind in the Bible. When God first talks about humans, the first time that, um, that we appear as characters in the grand story, it happens this way. Look at verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And one of the ways that Hebrew writers teach us is that they repeat themselves. Um, look at the repetition in verses 26 and 27. Our image, our likeness, our own, our own image, image of the, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And so there's a couple of details that we're supposed to pick up here. First, that God is a community. So, I mean, who could God be talking to um, in verse 26? He's talking to himself. And this is a hint of something that the Bible will later unveil, that God is a trinity. He's three persons in one essence. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's one. And he made us. He made humanity in his image. And God is a community into himself. Second, this shows us that God made us like him. That because we're made after his image, this means that we were designed by a community in the image of a community. So we just had the, the student activity fair, um, which uh, we were at at a table serving snow cones for three hours, if you got one. Um, it's kind of overwhelming, right? Like there are thousands of things that you can do and sign up for. You guys are going to get so many emails because you put your name on everything. You can unsubscribe all of them if you want. But what's going on at the Student Activities Fair is it's this public invitation saying, if you are like us, you can come be with us. And as freshmen especially, you all are walking through this activity fair with question marks over your heads, right? Asking the question, is this where I belong? Maybe it's over here. Maybe these people will welcome me in. And it's not just the freshman activity fair. Um, but perhaps more intensely than any other time in your lives, you will spend the first few months of your freshman year walking around campus with a question mark over your head. Uh, we, no one can see it, so don't worry about that. But um, you're asking the question, right? You're asking the question, is this where I belong? Right? When you go into your dorm or your hall, uh, meeting people that you've been randomly assigned to live with, asking the question, is this where I belong? Is this friendship where I belong? Or um, in fraternities or apartment parties, asking the question, is this where I belong? Or perhaps you're joining a sports team, varsity or club or intramural, ask the question, is this where I belong? Or whatever group it is that you affiliate with, right? asking this question, is this where I belong? I mean, all of us ask this question when we arrive at college. Jason Harris, who's a former RUF campus minister at Northwestern, um, while he was at Northwestern, he had a conversation with the dean of students. And he asked the dean of students, what are the issues that students are dealing with on campus? And the dean of students said, um, the top three issues are alcohol, emotional health, and sort of shocking, community that people were showing up to counseling services at Northwestern because of loneliness more than anything else. And this is fascinating because you think if you put 8,000 undergrads all within four years of each other in one place, all capable, all smart, all interesting, it would be like a petri dish for good friendships, right? They would be springing up all over the place. But it's just not true. There are tons and tons of lonely people in college. And maybe you're thinking, sure, I'm lonely, but why do I care so much about being lonely? Why can't I just get over it? And perhaps, just perhaps it's because that's actually hardwired into us, that we are relational beings. We are designed to exist in a web of relationships. 
And this is the reason why our biggest joys and our deepest pains revolve around relationships. Love and relationships have always been at the heart of reality itself. They are central to God, and they are therefore central to you. Fundamental to being human is that you are a communal being. I have a friend who says it's kind of like we're iPhones, um, and relationships and communities are not just an app that we can add or delete, but they're actually our operating system. They're the, real, they're the context in which everything else happens. And so my first point tonight is that, um, uh, reading verse, verse 18, that it is not good for man to be alone. I just want to make a quick note about this. Um, when it says that God created a, a helper fit for Adam, I'll, I want to be clear um, that Eve is not a servant. She, this is not a positional statement, but she is created as a partner um, of complementing strengths and weaknesses to co-labor with Adam. And Adam needs someone um, because we cannot be human alone. God initially resolves the aloneness problem with marriage, but marriage is not the only solution to the problem. As the Bible unfolds, and as we'll see this semester, God has given us all sorts of relationships within which, when they function properly, they create the context for us to be fully human. Because happiness is only real when it's shared. And so this means a few things for us. First, this means that you cannot figure out who you are by yourself. You cannot figure out who you are by yourself. If you really want to know yourself, and if you really want to become your true self, you must pursue relationships. Um, Don't retreat from others, but pursue relationships. And pursuing relationships, that doesn't necessarily mean pursuing marriage. And there's a couple of reasons why um, we don't pursue relationships. One could be that you've been hurt. I mean, relationships are painful. Um, But let me suggest to you that withdrawing from human relationships because you've been hurt before is like saying, I got food poisoning from eating, so I'm just not going to eat any food anymore. Right? Um, It's silly. We, We don't, but we don't pursue relationships because we've been hurt. And second, another reason we don't pursue relationships is because um, we've adopted the language of radical individualism. We believe that we will find our true selves independently of other individuals and of institutions. We believe that our true self is somewhere deep inside of us and our job is to do this like excavation work to mine the depths to find out who we truly are. And y'all, this just doesn't work. We discover ourselves face-to-face and side-by-side with others in work, in play, in love, in learning. You actually know yourself the least when you're alone. And when we use this language of finding ourselves and think the solution is to be alone and to avoid society or to avoid being known or to avoid relational obligations, you actually know yourself the least. Um, I've learned this as a husband and a father. The three most (laughs) fundamental relationships in my life are my wife, Mary Clark, my son, Leo, and my daughter, Mary Landon. And before those three came into my life um, and demanded, those relationships demanded something of me, I thought I was pretty thoughtful and selfless and pretty generous. But then when these three came into my, into my life in 24-7, never to leave again, um, I found out just how selfish I actually am, how self-absorbed, how self-consumed, how stingy. And here's what happened. They exposed me. They are like mirrors, like full-length mirrors. They showed me the reality of myself, and they forced me to know myself. Um, I couldn't grow until I knew myself. And it's within relationships that you find out who you are. And like looking in a full-length mirror, you see things, both beautiful and ugly. 
And you cannot know yourself or grow when you are alone. You require relationships. So being created in the image of a God who is a community means that you cannot figure out who you are by yourself. And it also means that some of you need to quit stuff. And by some of you, I mean all of you need to quit stuff. I mean, how many of, of us in this room are un- think we're unhappy because we're not doing enough? You don't have to raise your hands. But how many of us think we're unhappy because we're not doing enough stuff? How many of us feel like we should be doing more, accomplishing more at a higher level? How many of us feel like we're unhappy because we're not achieving what we think we should achieve? Y'all, this is a lie. And I say us because I'm included in this. So at least one of us in this room believes this lie. And here's the thing. We're unhappy not because we're, doing, we're not doing enough, but because we're doing too much. We're doing too much for our resume. Um, you're unhappy because you don't have real friends and you're masking it with, and you're medicating it with your commitments and your work and substances. And this is why in RUF we have large group and we have small groups and we have one-on-ones. And this is so that you can meet one another and you can talk <laughs> about deep things so that you can be known by each other. Your loneliness isn't going to go away overnight. Deep friendships and deep connections take time. But these avenues exist so that you can know and be known by one another. And the truth that we're all burying under our full schedules and extracurriculars, um, we're all denying it, but it's true, is that loved and loving people are happier than high-achieving people. This has always been true, that loved and loving people are happier than high-achieving people. This has always been true, and you are not going to be the exception. Like, some of us need to quit stuff, and remember what some means. And um, you need to learn that the Christian life cannot be lived alone. It's not you and your Bible holed up in your dorm for the next four years. Christian maturity only happens in a community. Not usually, but only happens in a community. This is all over the New Testament. It's explicitly clear in Ephesians 4 that maturity only happens in community. You might think that to be a mature Christian in college is that all I have to do is read my Bible and not misbehave. Right? It's an easy spirituality. Read Bible. Don't drink too much. It's easy. But God calls you into something much bigger and more beautiful than that. He calls you to love him and to love his neighbor. This is far more challenging. And when we convince ourselves that we can choose to do the Christian life alone, we're actually choosing the easy path. Real Christianity is loving the people close to you with the love of Jesus. And that's terrifying. So it's not good for man to be alone, um, which means first, that you cannot figure out who you are by yourself. Second, some of y'all will need to quit some things. And third, um, it means that your loneliness isn't healed by being around more people, but it's healed by being known by others. All right, we've, we've all experienced feeling alone in a crowd. Some of you, after we finish tonight, are going to feel alone in this room. There are lots of people near you, but you will feel alone. And this is why study groups and hall events and parties can leave you feeling like you don't have friends. Alone is not fixed by having people around you. Alone is fixed when you are known. And if you've ever been in a conversation with a child, you see this and see how it's hardwired into us as humans. My children will volunteer the oddest information about themselves. Now, all, all kids do this. They'll tell you what they had for breakfast, the inappropriate word they know how to spell, the embarrassing story about their dad. Um, so I was just thinking about this this morning. A couple of things that my kids have volunteered in the past three months. This is an incomplete list. Um, I heard one of them tell one of you, um, my dad threw up after going to the gym yesterday. That was one thing. <laughs> it's like, yes, that did happen. Thank you, Leo, for... 
sharing that. Um, another one is, I know how to spell, insert potty word here. Um, also Leo. Um, yesterday, Mary Landon said this, uh, Mary Landon's three. She said, my mommy has a baby in her tummy, which is true. My mommy has a baby in her tummy, and his name is Joseph. Okay, we have not named the baby. Um, we have not even discussed Joseph as a possibility of a name. But Mary Landon just wanted to volunteer that to one of y'all that, that his name is Joseph. She came up with that on her own. All right, so why do children do this? Um, they do it because they want to be known, right? Leo and Mary Landon are doing this because they want to be known. Um, feeling alone is fixed by being known. And this is why the word for the deepest form of intimacy in Scripture is to know or knowing. This is why sex is sometimes called to know in Scripture, because it's the deepest form of physical intimacy. The reason why we can be around a lot of social activity and still feel alone is because we're still not known. Now, as a campus minister, um, I've known a number of students to take time off of school. They often say it's because the workload got to them. Um, I've known students who have attempted suicide. And um, when these people talk about how they felt, the response is often, I never knew it was that bad for them. I never knew. It's not the workload that gets to us. It's the lack of connection. It's the, it's the lack of being known. Everyone needs to wrestle with the fact that the main thing that's preventing us from meaningful connections and relationships is that we all have shame. We all have fear. We all have inadequacies and guilt and sin and weaknesses and habits and wounds. And these are deep in us. And we hide them from all of our relationships. Because we think that if we brought them up in the light of our relationships, there is no way that we could be loved. The loneliness and the fracture that you experience in your relationships isn't because of poor technique. It's not because you don't know how to make real friends. It's because we don't believe that any relationship could handle the real us. Because the real me is crazy and dark, and I'm even confused by the real me. So what we do is we relate to one another through our PR campaign, right? The masks and the armor that I talked about last week. We put our best face forward, not only to others, but even to God and to ourselves. Um, We're high achieving, but in reality, we're dysfunctional. So how do we move into healthy relationships? What's the answer? What is the fix to the dysfunction that we bring to the table? Britton Wood tells the story of how it took a friend of his years to finally understand why a high school breakup devastated him. For years. He said it wasn't until years later when someone said to him, human relationships can't bear the weight of your identity. Only God can. And he finally understood that he had placed the weight of who he was on this one person. All of his hope was on his girlfriend. Our horizontal relationships, our relationships with one another, with our parents, with our friends, romantic relationships, relationships with your teachers, employers, um, these, these are essential to who we are. And our relationships with God, our vertical relationship, that is the only thing that can bear the weight of our identity. And when we replace our relationships with him, with relationships with other people, um, Everything gets off kilter. Everything gets out of whack. If your fundamental relationship, your vertical relationship is off, all of your other relationships devolve into disorder and chaos. Here's what I'm saying. And you might think this is crazy. But if Jesus' love for you is not your fundamental identity, 
If you cannot think for yourself, the main thing that I am is that I am loved by God. The truest thing about me is that I am delighted in by the God of the universe. If you can't say that, then crazy disorder is going to break out in your other relationships. Because then we demand that our friendships and our parents and our romance um, and our approval, we demand that they would do for us what only God's love can do. And the Bible calls this sin. Paul in Romans 1, he says that sin is when we center our life and our loves on created things rather than on God himself. And this includes human relationships. Now I know for some of you, your worth is bound up in whether or not you will have a significant other. Your internal monologue, your secret obsession is, if only I had a girlfriend or if only I had a boyfriend, then I'd be complete. And if you are dating someone, you're either smothering them or you're terrified that they're going to leave you. And if you're not dating someone, then you doubt your own worth because a guy or a girl isn't into you right now. And some others of you are angry or resentful because your friends have good relationships. And you think that if you had what they had, then you'd feel complete. And some of you allow yourself to be exploited by others. You feel like you need to be needed because your relationship with God feels empty. Leo, um, our son, taught us last year about something he learned in preschool, about being a bucket dipper and a bucket filler. The idea is that we each have a bucket, and if you love and serve someone else, you're a bucket filler. You fill up their bucket. Um, You fill up their love bucket. But if you hurt someone or are rude or just needy, you're a bucket dipper. You're dipping your cup into someone else's bucket, and you're taking from them. And in all of our horizontal relationships, we are doing one of two things. We are all either bucket fillers or bucket dippers. We are either filling or dipping. We're either doing ministry or manipulating. We are either giving or we are taking. We are either a servant or a consumer. We are either imagining what our friends can become and delighting in that, or we are thinking what they can do for me. You are either loving them or you are using them. And the reason our relationships are broken is because we often come into our relationships unloved. And we come in unloved with hopes and desires. We have this laundry list of what we can get from those relationships. And this is why frat basements are dangerous. Hear hear me on this. (laughs) Frat basements actually aren't dangerous places. They aren't dangerous places. If you walk into those places knowing that you are loved and you go to give and to serve and to minister to your friends, they're not dangerous. But if you go into those spaces as an unloved person looking to be filled or satisfied or loved, you'll be sorely disappointed. And you will make bad choices because God is the only one who can bear the weight of your personality and love you the way that you long to be loved and to fill you up the way that you're made to be filled. Unloved people use people. All you can think about is what others can do for you and how they disappoint you. And loved people love people. They give. They seek the well-being of others. Unloved people fear We're always afraid of breaching behavioral rules of relationships, scared of coming on too strong. We fear being truly known, fear being truly known. But loved people are free, free from tyranny of our secrets. Not only that we've been loved, but that we've been received. In this semester, we're going to be talking a lot about horizontal relationships, friendship, singleness, dating, and marriage. And the Bible dares to assume that all of our relationships will never be right until we are right in our vertical relationship with the God of the universe. And and a right relationship with God is what the Christian gospel offers to the world. 
What we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that God created humans to be recipients of his delight and his love. And that in the midst of our confusion and our brokenness, our sin, our dysfunction, our mess, God will not ultimately be separated from his people. This is the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is actually verse 24. Look at this with me. At the bottom, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is about Jesus. That Jesus has left heaven to hold fast to the church and to marry you and to have you for eternity. Jesus wants to be with you. I was talking with a student once, and I asked him, if God was sitting here with us, what would he say to you? And the student responded, "Um, he'd probably just tell me to get my stuff together. Y'all, that is not God's posture towards you. God loves you, and he wants to be with you, the real you, not the ideal you, not the resume you, but the real you. And Jesus went to the cross, scorning its shame, because having you as his bride was his joy. He went to the cross not to make you lovable to God, but because God loves you. The the cross is the ultimate expression of God's love for the world. And Jesus heals us. He deals with our shame by coming after us. By marrying us, he comes close. And on the cross, he literally bore our brokenness and our pain and our sin. And through his resurrection and by his spirit, he gives us wholeness and beauty and righteousness. In closing, I want to leave one question with you. Could it be, could it be that, the, that you long for real relationships because you were created by this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who loves you and who gave himself for you? Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that you love us. And Lord Jesus, that you gave yourself for us. I pray that you would help us to see you and see the delight that you have in us. Um, that you are not scared of us or repulsed by the things that we hide, but that you come towards us to restore us to yourself and to each other. We praise you for this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you all want to stand up, we're going to sing one more song together.